give you a little more info on Doug. I did that backwards. Uh, this is Doug's first time speaking on Wednesday. He spoke multiple times on Friday. He's been going to the church for less than two years, I want to say. Uh, less than a year. Less than a year. And he's just, he loves teenagers. He came, he's one of those people that, like, I pray for, and he shows up, and like, sweet, God answers prayers. Because he just loves teenagers, and he's always asking, like, well, how can I be involved in teen lives? How can I do something more? And he's jumped in to help us on the front line, and he's just a huge asset to our ministry, and you guys will get to know him uh, more and more as we... Uh, as you guys spend more time with us. But I want you guys to give a huge element. Welcome to Doug Taylor. Give it up. Like, uh, 
when I, when I pray to God, I just think of that intensity that we need to have. Do we always have that? Or are we just kind of going through the motions? <clears throat> Anyways, that was on a separate note as well. But <laughs> uh, Where we're starting off here is in John 3, if uh, you feel like following along. And uh, we got a guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Anybody know what a Pharisee is? Who said that? What do you got? They were definitely pious and religious. What Pharisees were, somebody, you got some jokes? Religious leaders, right. They were supposed to be the guys that were, uh, they knew all the laws. I mean, they these guys memorized, for sure, the first five books of the Bible, right? But uh, in, in many cases, much, much more. Uh, literally from, from memory, which is amazing to me. So these are guys who spent a lot of time in the legalistic ways of the Bible, right? On what we're supposed to do. If we're supposed to eat fish on Friday or, you know, whatever, kick the dog on Tuesday, I mean, whatever that thing was, you know, slay the lamb, blood here, all that stuff, man, they were to the letter of the law. When, you know, when they tithed, it was boom, 10%. I mean, not, not a penny more, not a penny less. You know, they were just boom, right on the law. There. Well, this is who Nicodemus was. And uh, that is part of the reason why this story is so interesting, because here we have this guy who is... Uh, uh, this leader, this uh, um, uh, Pharisee, who was also a member of the Sanhedrin. Okay, anybody know what Sanhedrin is or was? Anybody? All right, it was like uh, a court. Okay, we would um, we would say like the Supreme Court in our land, right? This is the high court. This is the court where uh, serious things would go to. This is the court where eventually Jesus would end up on trial. So th- this is uh, you know this is kind of a big deal here. So Nicodemus uh, is a member of the Sanhedrin. They uh, Basically, they called it the Supreme Judicial Council of the Jews. And uh, he comes, I'm going to start right in uh, uh, chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a member of, Jew- of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Now, there's several things just in this part that I find very interesting. A, Nicodemus went to Jesus at night. I mean, what does that tell us? Maybe he's a coward. What else, Jonas? He didn't want to be seen. You know, he, here, here we have a guy who is a, uh, he, he knows all the laws. He, he Surely by now, obviously, if he went to Jesus, he knows what's going on. He, he's heard the stories. He knows the rumors about Jesus. He even feels... We know because of what you're doing that God is with you. So, you know, you get the feeling that Nicodemus, he didn't want the other, the rest of the Sanhedrin, the other Pharisees, to know that he was going to go to Jesus and ask Jesus something, right? Because, I mean, let's face it, they are the ones that read all the Old Testament. They should know everything, and they thought they did. So he sneaks off, and he goes and uh, talks to Jesus. And Jesus replies to him, and he says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he was born again. Now, uh, to someone like Nicodemus, who was so set on the law and the legality and the, you know, to the letter, this, this probably would have been a very strange. It actually was a strange statement. Not probably would have been. It was a strange statement um, to be born again. I mean, he was very confused by this. To 
to you know to think in the literal form. You know, I'm a man now. How can I be born again? How can I come from my mother's womb again? You know, but having recognized that Jesus was a, a you know a man of God, that God was with him, that uh, he wanted to know this. Uh, Jesus also, and then, okay, so he goes on. He says, "How can a man be born when he is old?" Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Obviously, you see the confusion here. So Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Again, I love this about Jesus because uh, he, he knows exactly what we need to hear and when we need to hear it. You know, He's one of those perfect answer every time guys, and I love that. I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my sayings. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone. So is it with every, or so it is with everyone of the spirit. So here he's trying to just give him an example. You know, uh, and we use this a lot. Maybe when uh, we're explaining things to someone, when they say, when they're questioning us about God, well, you can't see God. How do you know He exists? And we say to them sometimes, well, you can't see the wind, but you know it exists. You can feel it. You know, there are things, we see the trees move. There, there are evidence of the wind, as we have evidence of God, him speaking to our heart, the things that he's done in people's lives around us. So Jesus is trying to compare that to him and, and, and give him a little bit of this, you know. And Nicodemus is still confused. How can this be? So Jesus takes this to a level that Nicodemus is going to relate to. I love this. And this is where Jesus talks exactly into our lives when we need him to, in the way we need him to. So he says to Nicodemus, you are Israel's teacher, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, we testify to what we have seen, but still people, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I want to stop right there for a second. Testify. If I were to tell you I was testifying, where would you think I was going? court. We've learned that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was part of the Sanhedrin, which was a court. So here we have Jesus saying, he, he's already told Nicodemus two things, and Nicodemus is still confused. So Jesus said, you know, I'm going to take this somewhere that he can relate to. He's an officer of the court. I'm going to talk to him about testifying. I'm going to relate this to him. So I'm just going to read that part again. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who comes from heaven. The Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus is, um, another thing that he does to speak directly to Nicodemus is he gets Old Testament on him. You know, uh, he knows that Nicodemus would have been a person that memorized the Old Testament, or again, at least much of it. So what does he do? He goes back to Numbers, and he, and he, he references the story in Numbers. 
in Numbers 21, we see that the Israelites, uh, we all know the story of the Israelites, I assume Moses led the Israelites from uh, slavery out of Egypt, right? They went into the desert, okay? I, I hope we all know that part. So uh, there were several times where the Israelites got, you know, granny, what about me? What have you done for me lately? You know, we're hungry. Why'd you take us from slavery? God gives them food. Manna, this sucks. I'm thirsty. God gives them water. Man, this is all we have is man and water. You know, it's one thing after another with these guys. And God provides for them over and over and over again. So, uh, when we get to this point here, Israel has just defeated the Canaanites, right? The Lord handed the Canaanites over to Israel. Another miracle, uh, being that the Israelites didn't have the numbers, the Canaanites were a powerful army. So this was another miracle that God uh, had delivered them from. And here we pick this up in uh, Numbers 21.4. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. The Lord uh, then sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned, we spoke against the Lord, we spoke against you. We pray to the Lord to take the snakes away from us. But now before I finish that, I, I can only imagine God's frustration at this point. You know, to deliver people from slavery. Um, you know, we can relate to that in this country where we had one time where uh, people were were uh, uh, captive in slavery and the freedom that they felt and the, and the things, the stories that we would hear uh, in history of people coming out of slavery and talking about how wonderful it is to have freedom and the things that they could do at this point. So here we have God delivering his people from Egypt out of slavery and, uh, and here they are complaining. He had just handed over a powerful army to them. And here they are complaining again. Not only were they talking about uh, Moses, who God gave to lead them out of Egypt, but they were actually speaking ill of God, who has just provided for them time and time again. I've had people question me. Uh, you know, people that love to question Christianity, this is one of the things they bring up a lot is, well, uh, what about, you know, God's always killing people. You know, he gives the snakes over, you know, to, to kill the Israelites, or, you know, he floods this or floods that, and I I say to myself, you know, uh, did you read the whole story? You know, uh, here we have a, a very uh, uh, selfish group of people here, a very selfish group of people that were speaking against God who had done these wonderful things for them. So I just say to them that um, really, they, they just need to read the whole story. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake, put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by the snake and looked at it, uh, the bronze snake, he lived. Uh, what do we know about that snake around the pole today? Anybody? Anyone? Right, it's the medical symbol. You see that... Uh, snake wrapped around a pole and it's like a six-pointed star or eight-pointed star or something like that. I believe it's called the star of something. Anyways, 
this is something that we use today, right? This is uh, it's it's a, it's a it's a medical symbol. We we think about being healed from this, you know, and it's just more proof that this uh, was a Christian nation. But um, what God is doing here is He's giving them really a prophecy. You know, can anybody see the relationship there between a snake up on a pole? Look upon this, and you'll be saved. Anyone? What do you got? Jesus up on the cross. I mean, what else do you know? Do we, we're told to look upon the cross. That's our Savior. You know, we look on the cross. So here, here we have a couple thousand years before Jesus had come to us, and God is giving this symbol of what is to come. Look upon this pole, and you'll be saved. We look upon the cross and will be saved. I, I think it's an absolutely wonderful uh, example of just the way that God speaks to us. So at this point, so this is the story that uh, Jesus was referring to as he's talking to Nicodemus. Again, a story that Nicodemus absolutely would have known about. On a little side note here, totally separate from the, uh, <laughs> from the message. Um, when I got into youth ministry... Uh, a couple years ago, I uh, I went to a youth pastor at the church I was at at the time, and I just said, you know, I was praying, and really felt like God was putting it on my heart to be in youth ministry. And she was very excited, you know, they said, we, we really need men in, in this ministry. And she said, I'd like you to talk to, you know, this guy Tommy, he's a minister, he's one of our leaders, and just, you know, he'll give you, kind of fill you in on, you know, the man aspect of it. So I went to Tommy, and you know, very excited. Tommy, you know, this is what God's put in my heart. I talked to Pastor. Pastor's all on board. And, and Tommy said, tough ministry. And I was like, well, you know, kind of a small church, really. You know, not that many kids. I, I don't understand why you would say it's a tough ministry. <laughs> Tommy came from the inner city uh, in New Jersey. And Tommy was a guy who preached on the streets to drug dealers, prostitutes, homeless people. Uh, he went to a, a completely Latino church, very uh, outgoing type of church. It wasn't a uh, Pentecostal church, but it was, you know, you, you'd mistake it for one. So coming from this background, Tommy's over here now, and he says, yeah, this is a tough ministry. And I'm like, really, this is a tough ministry? I mean, it's kind of small. And he said, yeah, white suburban kids are the toughest people to preach to because they just sit there. So that was just a little side note. So anyways, <laughs> so, uh, so at this point, so after Jesus had referenced this Old Testament story, he, he ends that, so, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, right? He compares this, just like that had to be lifted up, the snake had to be on the pole, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him then will have eternal life. There's our saving. And then, the big, right? football game. This is it right here. The most important man right, to ever walk on the face of the earth. Maybe says the most important words ever to be uttered on the face of the earth. And maybe gave us the most clarification that we could possibly have about the whole thing. About Christianity. Excuse me, as we know it. Jesus himself says, 
For God so loved the world, and He gave His only Son, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Verdict, right? Talking to Nicodemus, he's going back to court. This is the verdict. This is the end result right here. Light has come into this world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done, he has done through God. Again, this is Christianity 101, all in the words of, of God on earth. I, this is incredible. Nicodemus at this point, probably from what he had known from the laws, is thinking a gift? Like, I, I kind of, I do all these things. I, I, I sweep my floor with a palm, whatever. I do all these things by the law. And you're telling me it's a gift? Eternal life is a gift? You know, and uh, my first thought when I read this was, I had, to, I had to find out what happened to Nicodemus. Because... Again, he's speaking to Jesus. He's speaking to the authority. I thought, i got to dig into this, so I dug into it. Nicodemus' eyes were opened. And the way that we know that is, is actually two more times he's mentioned. And a little bit later on in John 7, uh, we see him in the Sanhedrin. And when the Pharisees are plotting against Jesus, Nicodemus is there protesting that plot against Jesus, which I can only imagine what they were thinking. Well, Nicodemus has been with us for how long now? We're plotting on this guy who is not with us. Why is he sticking up for him? So that shows us that Nicodemus' heart was changed a little bit. But then in John 19, probably the most significant uh, spot that we would know Nicodemus, was his heart was changed, was uh, he was with a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. Anybody know who that is? That's not a pastor? Anybody? <coughs> Sorry? Go ahead. Joseph of Arimathea was the guy that went to Pontius Pilate and wanted the body of Christ. He wanted to take you know, the body of Christ and give it a proper Jewish burial, as they would do. And right there with him was Nicodemus. So... I see these words that Jesus spoke to him, and I, and I saw how it changed Nicodemus's life. It reminds me of Paul, right? Paul was a keeper of the law. Paul was someone who, by his own admission, was perfect at the law, and then he was changed by Christ as well. I uh, so I I, I I I found that fascinating to see that Nicodemus's life did change. I. Uh, I kind of want to give a little bit of my testimony tonight to go along with this because we're talking about uh, someone's life being changed by the words of Christ. We're talking about that that ultimate gift of the Son of Man for us. 
And uh, I, anyways, I just want to give you guys kind of an overview of where I'm coming from. You know, I, I am newer to this ministry, and uh, like I said, I'm getting to know a lot of you a lot better, and I, I really appreciate that, the time that I've been able to spend. But um, anyways, just to give you a little overview of me, I, uh, I grew up not too far from here. I grew up in Roseville. Um, pretty young age, I, I think it was about third grade, I had some teachers uh, pull my parents aside and and uh, they said, you know, we really think your kid's kind of smart. You know, maybe uh, we could. We have this program that we like to send academically talented kids, is what they call it, you know, to. And, uh, of course, my parents were like, whatever, you know. So I, uh, I got bussed away to some school, uh, you know. It's kind of one of these schools where they would teach you whatever you wanted to know that day type of thing. There really wasn't any structure to it, you know, one of those things where you kind of have some creative freedom, but it was supposed to be this idea where you're going to then grow at your pace as opposed to uh, whatever the pace of your school is, you know. So it was kind of fun. I learned a lot. I did that for three years. And um, at that point, I, uh, you know, had never uh, not done well in school. I'd never gotten anything but an A at that point. So I was very, very uh, conceited about my intelligence. I was very... Um, Pious, I guess you would, would be the word. Uh, my 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 dad wasn't someone who was around, unfortunately, a whole lot, and he was the one that I wanted uh, that approval from. You know, I wanted him to tell me that I was doing okay, that uh, you know I was smart, whatever. I was, you know, and he just wasn't around a lot. So because of that, I had to reflect that outwardly towards everyone else. You know, just so you know, I'm smarter than you. You know, and. Uh, so, uh, and I was also uh, very athletic, very, uh, I know I don't look like it now, I was um, actually top at every sport I played. I played baseball, uh, you know, home run leader, uh, you know, awesome on the bases, played football, wide receiver, fastest runner, you know, played soccer, all-state goalie, I mean, just very athletic as well. So, I, you know, I had uh, some gifts. God gave me some gifts to use, uh, man, I, I can only imagine. Uh, to use in, in who knows what ways, but uh, because of these things, because of these achievements that I was able to do, again, I was very conceited about it. I was very, very uh, big-headed. So along comes uh, junior high school, and I I got into drugs. You know, I was kind of bored. Uh, the smart kid program thing kind of went away at that point, and I, I just kind of got bored with where I was at in school. It really wasn't a challenge. I didn't feel like uh, I really wasn't worried about being diligent at all in school or showing up for that matter most of the time because I felt like, uh, you know what, I'm pretty much smarter than everyone I know. I really don't have to worry about this whole school thing. You know, it's, it's really not going to concern me. It's just really to pass the time away. So I, uh, so I started smoking dope, you know, and there's a reason they call it dope. Um, you know, there went the athletics. Uh, at first, it was just a matter of I'd rather get high than be out playing sports. Uh, you know, friends of mine had moved away that, that I spent most of my time with in those sports. So uh, other things, other influences, other friends had influenced me to get more into you know the opposite sex instead of sports, instead of school, things like that. I, uh, I stopped showing up to classes. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a mess, you know. It, it really got bad 
in a hurry. Uh, well, 7th, 8th, ninth grade, I got A's and E's. It's, it's incredible if you look at my transcript. All the classes I showed up to, I got A's. All the classes I cut, I got E's. And again, this, is, this was that proof to me that I was smarter than everybody. Because, hey, when I, when I want to do it, I'll do it. You know, and when I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. You know, I, I leaned leaned on myself so much. I trusted myself more than anybody. So at this point, uh, my parents were obviously a little upset. They didn't know that I was uh, into drugs or anything. But uh, obviously, they saw my grades at some point and were not very happy with that. And they talked about sending me down south, where my whole family was originally from to my grandparents' house. Now, my grandparents are very devout Christians. My, uh, my grandmother passed away last year, actually 91 years old, and uh, one of the phrases spoken at her funeral by the pastor was, if Lucille didn't make it, we might as well all pack it in. You know? So she was very, very devout. So uh, at that threat, I just said, okay, things will change. And they did change, as a matter of fact. I showed up to school a lot less. I smoked a lot more dope. And I, I came pretty close to dropping out of school. And again, the amazing thing is that I had so much confidence in myself. I don't even know where that came from. Um, and when I say that, I mean, I, I know that it came because I thought I was so smart. And I, even though at this point uh, I wasn't playing athletics, I still, I think in my head, thought, just still going to play pro sports if I want to. I can just go to school and do whatever I want. So things got even worse. And uh, I had a teacher, I had an Algebra 2 teacher in ninth grade, and she pulled me aside and she said, Doug, I, I'm really, I see something in you, and I just really wish you'd change your ways. And I really wish that you would apply yourself. I, I don't know what you have going on at home. I don't know anything about you other than this class. And I know that I see a mind in you that I, I really haven't seen in a long time. And she's she been in that teaching for quite a few years. And uh, that puffed me up even more. You haven't seen a mind like mine in a while. That's right. I'm good to go. So uh, I spoke a little bit more dope. Cut a few more classes. And uh, it got to the point where the following year, this teacher that had spoken to me was now my principal. And uh, she wasn't going to have any of this. Well, it just so happened at the same time, my sister had a baby. This my niece. And something clicked in me. I don't know what it was, but when I held my niece for the first time, when my sister brought her home from the hospital, I thought, man... I want the world to be like a better place for her. You know, I'm part of the problem with what's going on in the world today. Even if I'm a good person, you know, I'm not hurting anybody else, I'm just doing my thing. But I'm holding this little baby, and I'm thinking, I want the world to be a better place for her. I, 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 can't, I can't not do something about that. So this was uh, the beginning of 11th grade. And uh, I went to school, the, I think it was the next day, or two days later, 
and someone out in the parking lot uh, before school, I was cutting the class, said, hey, you know, you want to get high? And I said, no, actually, I don't. And he was like, what, seriously? <laughs> As a Doug, we're talking about that. You know, no, I, I don't know why, but I just don't want to. So thanks anyways, and I went into school. And I, uh, I sat next to a friend of mine's girlfriend that day. We, we kind of shared a lab desk at school. And she looked at me and she just said, you know, uh, you're not hot. <laughs> like every day <laughs> you get here, <laughs> I, you know, what happened? I said, I don't know. I, I don't know, but I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, and uh, incidentally, that was a long time ago, and I haven't, I haven't done you know, drugs since then. But um, anyways, at this point, I uh, I was coming into 12th grade. I decided I'm going to go ahead and just show up for this. You know, this is the last last hoorah, and then I'll go on and. At that time, I planned on being an astrophysics, uh, astrophysicist. I uh, was going to go to the University of Michigan. Um, you know, all these things were totally attainable because I'm so smart. Uh, so I graduated high school with uh, what may be, I'm not sure, in the Guinness Book of World's Record for the lowest possible GPA while still receiving a diploma. I'm not sure, but I'll have to look into that. And, uh, and I laugh at that, laughing at the stupidity. I, I don't laugh at that as it's a funny thing that, you know, anyone should ever copy. But I, so I, I took my ACT test, uh, you know, aced it because I'm the smartest guy around. And uh, I went to the University of Michigan. I filled out my paperwork and uh, I went in for, to talk to a counselor. And she said, yeah, there's absolutely no way we'll let you step foot on this campus. Quite frankly, I'm a little appalled that you're here right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or something like that. So I, I, I could not understand that. Like, lady, I'm the smartest guy that's ever walked into this office. Are you kidding me? Like, the University of Michigan would be lucky to have this mind. You know? I, I, this is exactly where I sat. All right? This is exactly what was going through my mind at, at that time. I'm still not getting it, right? I'm still not getting it. So I, I went home and I just said, forget the universe, I'll make my millions some other way, you know, because I'll be successful. I'm the smartest guy I know. There's no doubt. So at this point, I did a whole lot of nothing. Worked the job. I was already already had my own apartment, so I'm paying bills, letting year by year by year by year go by. And I I can look back on that now. Not just that, I, I can look back on my entire life. We don't have enough time for me to tell you now with the scales removed how I can see how God worked in my life in so many steps in that process. So many. That God did something in my life sometimes to save me. I've got stories that I, I won't even repeat because they're, they're vile. They're absolutely vile. And God rescued me from situations that otherwise may have been fatal. Definitely 
to my spirit. You know, they were striking blows to my spirit. But they possibly could have been fatal to my life, physically to my life. So, a couple years ago, I, uh, I happened to be going through a divorce. Um, a lot of guys know Jake, my son, to his mother. And uh, I went into a church. My son, had, Jake, had went into uh, this church over at St. Clair Shores. And he liked it. And he was about uh, seven years old. And he came home and he said, Dad, that, that church was fun. I said, that's great, so I'm glad to hear that. You know, I didn't need church. I was an atheist, right? I, I know I'm a little too smart for that Christianity thing. You know, so, uh, but I'm, I'm glad you liked it, son. I, I, I believe in the community of church, and I believe in we should all do good for each other, you know, especially me. And uh, I'm glad you liked it. And he said, Dad, will you go with me next week? Now, at that time, my seven-year-old son, he was... <coughs> He was that pole. He was that, that. He was what I was looking upon. He was my God. Love that boy. He he was my everything from the day he was born. So at that point, my son said, "Yeah, we go to church with me." Son, I'll do anything with you. God, God knew. He knew what I was putting first in my life. He knew my God, my son. So he used my son to bring me into a church, and I went into that church. Ironically, my son asked me to go to church with him and dropping him off in the, in the children's ministry and going and sitting by myself. But regardless, God got me into that church. That very first day, I heard a pastor speak and I said, you know, I don't really agree with what this guy believes. You know, he's whole God thing. Craziness. But something about it really struck me. It really drew me in. And I said, I want to hear this guy talk again sometime. So, uh, anyhow, one thing leads to another. I end up uh, counseling with this pastor. Going through the divorce and all that stuff, which, to be honest with you, really wasn't weighing on me very much. Uh, I was worried about my son, but due to other circumstances. The pastor one day said to me, Doug, I want to give you a challenge. I'd like you to uh, pray (coughs) And ask God to reveal himself to you. I thought that seemed simple enough. And quite frankly silly enough. So I was driving home that day. And I said God. Who am I talking to right? God if you are there. Reveal yourself to me. The ironic thing is. I remember what went through my mind was. Why would he reveal himself to me? Which maybe showed some measure of faith anyways, right? So God told me, something told me, to fast for three days. I don't even know what it, right? I felt something. Fast for three days. Fast? I better look this up. What exactly does that mean? I can't eat? Hold on a second. You know, so I kind of wanted to find out exactly what that meant. I thought that meant you can't eat, but let me make sure. So I went back to the pastor and I said, uh, Actually, I take that back. I didn't go back to him first. There was a church service in between there. And uh, he was speaking again. And here I'm standing here in church. At this point, I've been in this church for like five months. I mean, an atheist. Standing in this church, listening to this guy, 
who, again, I just loved to hear him speak. And uh, he, right in the middle of his sermon, he stopped. And he said, I really feel like God just gave me a message, and I don't know who it's for, but I want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, so I'm going I'm to put it out there. And he said, I feel like God is telling me that sometimes we have to take our three days and be with God. And he said, I don't know the significance of that, but whoever, you know, and then he went on. I'm standing here. Did he just say <laughs> what I think he just said? And, and I'm trying to determine, is this some God talking to me or is this Doug, crazy Doug, talking about three days not eating? You know, what's going on here? And then this message comes through and I'm like, wow. So I said, all right. God, if this is you, if this, you know, some sort of setup, or, you know, I'm on punked or something, you know. So, starting that Monday, I said, I'm going to fast. I'm gonna fast for three days. What can I hurt, right? Probably use lose a few pounds anyway. So, so, I fasted for three days. I didn't eat a thing. I just drank water. And God revealed himself to me in such a an amazing way. I again, we don't have the time. <laughs> we just don't have the time for that three days worth of God that He spent with me. You know, uh, there was an immediate, immediate change in my life. That was about uh, four and a half years ago, and I guess you know the reason I wanted to share this with you guys is I wanted you to. I want to implore you, as teenagers, I'm going to say that this is the most important time of your life. And some of you are going to say, yeah, we've heard that before, or maybe we know. But I don't know that you really do. This time will form your entire life. You know, I, I look at where I'm at, don't get me wrong. I, I could not be more blessed. I couldn't be. I, I couldn't be more blessed. But I, I can also look back and I can say my biggest regret is I didn't worship God for longer. I don't have... I wasted so many years worshiping myself and then my son. Instead of the son. Those are wasted years. I can't get those back. The Bible says life is like a mist. It's here and it's gone. So where is eternity going to be? You can't get those these years back. You cannot. I can't. Spend them wisely. Spend them with God. It will impact your life unbelievably. And if you really, really believe me, if you really take to heart what I'm telling you, You'll do it, and you're going to see world-changing things that will happen to you over the course of the next few years, let alone the rest of your life. It will be a different story if you stay on that path, or if you get on that path. Maybe you're not on it. It will be a different story. I want you guys to look 
upon the cross. Save yourselves. He's provided us a way. I know I went a little bit long, so I'm just going to close this. Do you, are you, do you want to pray or anything? Okay. I'm just going to close this, and I just want to tell you guys that uh, I just love you. I really, I love you all. You know, I met a couple of new people, I mean, new, new people to me tonight, and uh, I, I can't, I can't stress it enough, please. Just take what I'm saying to heart. Pray about it. Pray about it. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this time, Father. Thank you, Lord God, that you uh, that you save, Lord, because uh, there's so many 